Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of Middle Market Growth Magazine. My guest on this week's podcast is Tom Trammell, who joined me to talk about private equity investment in physician practices. Tom is the founder and managing director of investment firm TMT Capital Partners. He also serves as director on the executive education team and as an academic director at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Our conversation focused primarily on a class that Tom teaches at Kellogg for physician entrepreneurs who want to learn more about how to grow their businesses. As private equity interest in the physician practice space has grown, a number of Tom's students have been approached by PE firms, and he shared with me some of the questions and concerns that get raised in his class about selling to private equity. Tom has been active in ACG as a member, as well as past president of ACG Chicago, and he's a former board member of ACG Global. So with all of the hats that he wears, he brings a great perspective to the healthcare investing conversation. With that, here's my interview with Tom Termel. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we've run several stories in MMG recently that have looked at private equity's interest in physician practices, which I know is a topic that you're very close to since you deliver and teach a physician CEO class at Kellogg. Can you talk about how you got involved with this course and what it covers? Yeah, so the background on that is really interesting. As with many things in life, there's never a straight line. So I'm a Kellogg grad. I was spending some time uh, with the executive education team at Kellogg. And I would say I happened to be in the right place at the right time. This program was actually running prior to my involvement with the executive education team over at Kellogg. And they were looking for a speaker on private equity. And so the person who was very, very involved, actually it was the dean of exec at the time, saw me in the hallway and said, hey, would you like to speak? And I said, hmm, maybe not this time around, but I'd like to learn more and I know somebody who would be awesome. So I found a, a founding partner, a senior person at a private equity firm in town to be the speaker, tagged along. And uh, before you knew it, I was asked, just given my background and some of the focal points of the program, if I would be interested in stepping in and playing a greater role in the program. And it started out simply as running the program and it evolved into doing some teaching in the program uh, as well as a lot of mentoring in the program. Mm -hmm. So if I back up a little bit what it is, it's a physician CEO. It's a course that was specifically designed for physician entrepreneurs. So our room is full of people, guys, guys, gals who own their own practices or multi-practice groups. They are extremely successful people, extremely knowledgeable people, but they know they don't know a lot of things about business. And so they come to us at Kellogg to really learn a lot of things about business growth, hmm. which is one of our passions here at ACG as well. And so uh, my involvement, I, I do some teaching around corporate finance. I do some teaching around uh, introductory to accounting tools and, and tactics. I talk about private equity in lots of different ways, uh, in all forms of private equity, and uh, do a lot of mentoring throughout as well. My two biggest challenges and roles, I think, are making sure that the physicians who get a lot, a lot, a lot of content in all the areas that you would think are able to walk away uh, and actually apply the principles, part one. And number two is post the program or throughout the program, these guys actually develop business plans. Some are for brand new businesses. Others are for things that they envision and want to do with their own practices. And so breaking the program down in pieces, these physicians are coming to Kellogg four times over nine months, five days each time. Each time they come, there's a specific theme to the content that they're receiving. Uh, the first time they come, it's all about transitioning to a CEO. So not thinking so much like a physician 
uh, practitioner, but thinking like a business owner, a business leader. Second time they come, uh, the content is geared toward positioning your practice for growth. So there's lots of things in there about patient experience, uh, all types of marketing, advertising, um, things that they really need to, to think about and hone in on as they think about how to grow their business. Mm -hmm. Module three, third time they come back, it's around building a high-performing practice. And so we introduce a lot of concepts uh, around uh, organizational alignment, incentive programs, which I also do the teaching as well. Um, but we talk about innovation. We talk about some introductory finance concepts taught both by myself as well as other Kellogg faculty members to really give these guys the tools they need to think about and to use as they build their practice. And then lastly, we kind of bring it all together in module four, the fourth time we get together, and it's around maximizing the value of your practice. And so we'll focus on uh, operations, uh, change, change management, strategic alliances, and other uh, concepts, business tools that the physicians should think about as they plan their business plan, hopefully execute their business plan, and grow their businesses very profitably. In terms of the practices represented in your class, you know, are there commonalities in terms of how large the practices are or the specialty areas represented or even geography? So if you think about the owners of the practices who are in our classroom, mm -hmm. the smallest guys, a million or so in EBITDA, mm -hmm. maybe a little lower at the, the low end. I would say the bulk are between two and, and eight. And then we do have uh, guys who own physician practices who are in the room who've got 10 million plus EBITDA practices. So multi-location, um, generally very well established and very successful. Geographically, you know, this year's class is really interesting. We've always pulled a good, strong North American clientele. Uh, and it's really representative across, you know, all states. Um, we historically have pulled from other countries as well in and around uh, you know, Canada, Puerto Rico, our, our neighbors, I guess, to the south. Uh, but this year's class has five countries represented within it. The preponderance is North American, but you know, again, we've got physicians uh, who've heard of this program globally uh, who come because they foresee the benefits to them of, of being there. Uh, a, to learn about you know, leadership, B, driving their business, and C, establishing relationships with great people uh, who become part of their network on a go-forward basis. Mm -hmm. From a physician practice standpoint or discipline perspective, we're a little bit heavily ophthalmologically leaning, um, in part because one of the founding advisors uh, who happens to be a Kellogg grad is a retired ophthalmologist who approached Kellogg about starting this program about five years ago. And he and Kellogg designed the program in concert you know, back at that point in time. Um, given his backgrounds in ophthalmology, a lot of his network was there. As the program has grown and the reputation has spread, you know, we've got a lot of different uh, disciplines represented today. So if you look at this group today, we've got uh, orthopedic surgeons there. We've got ophthalmologists, we've got dermatologists, we've got a couple guys who are in emergency medicine or, or general practitioners, uh, radiologies there, oncologies there. So it's a very uh, eclectic group, which in part makes it a lot of fun. From what I understand, it sounds like most of them are focused on growing their practices today. Is How many are thinking about selling, or is, is that something that is maybe a consideration further down the line for them? That comes up as a common theme. You know, what's interesting with this particular group, and it's, it's self-selected, so these are, are people who've chosen to come to Kellogg who know they've got deficiencies in the business realm, and, and frankly, they want to make a difference both within their practice as well as in the medical environment. I mean, if you had to have a higher level orders to what these guys want to accomplish, they want to have the language and the tools necessary to participate 
in regulatory discussions and in business discussions as the healthcare environment continues to evolve over the course of time. And so as they think about selling their practices, as you would suspect, you look across this group and we've tended to have 26 to 30, 32 people within this uh, class. It's interesting, most have been called on by private equity. Uh Many don't really understand what private equity is and many are somewhat scared of private equity. And so as, again, you get a group that large and there we've had several of our physicians who were consciously thinking about selling their practices and have actually done so as we move through the course. Uh, I've got one graduate from last year's course right now who's in the process of selling to a private equity firm as well. Hmm. What's also interesting, and particularly as we introduce the different types of private equity, so control is certainly part of the discussion that we have, but we also address angel or seed we address growth equity. We address the corporate finance capital that's available vis-a-vis private equity funds as well, and other you know, non-control-oriented private equity that might be available to these physicians as they look to grow their practices. So I would say, although there's an interest in some of these guys to sell their practices, and some have, there's probably a greater interest in the group for near-term growth and, and business development to get to a place where they're more successful, they're larger, and they could be looked at Uh, really as that platform for potential private equity investment in the future. Hmm. And for those who have been approached by private equity, what are some of the questions or concerns that you hear from those physicians? If you look at the the industry in the physician practice space, uh, and we'll put dental aside, I do some work with dentists as well in a separate class at Kellogg. But, uh, you know, the dental industry has been rolling for 20 years, probably plus at this point. On the physician practice side, um, you know, I don't know what the data would actually say, but in the last five to seven years, there's been a ton of momentum built on that side. Going back previously to that, there were a couple of um, well-known physician practice groups that, uh, let's just say, the, de- the deals did not go well. And so uh, there are a good number of people within our classes, believe it or not, who remember those deals and point to that and saying that's what private equity did. Private equity destroyed these practices. We probably don't want to be part of a private equity experience. Mm-hmm. As you learn more and as we dig in, you know, you learn that some things that were done 10 or 15 years ago are different from how things are done today. And yeah, there were some problematic elements with the way some of those deals were structured. So if you put that aside though, um, that inherent fear that a lot of them have because of history and, and rumors that they've heard, but I think they're they're concerned about loss of control. And I would put loss of control in two buckets, one being the patient experience, because as they think about private equity firms, it's all about volume. It's all about procedure. It's all about getting the most people through your practice as quickly as you can on a given day. Mm-hmm. How does that conflict with how I practice medicine? Am I still able to spend the time I need to with my patient today who might need a few extra moments of my time because of questions, concerns, afflictions? How am I then looked at vis-a-vis the private equity measurements? Because they're all about measurements and all about you know process and measuring those outcomes of the process. So the loss of control of the patient experience becomes an issue with, with many of these physicians, as well as on the business side. Um, something that's hard for many of these business owners to to get their arms around is you know they've built this business to a a reasonable size, and you know some of these businesses are eight-figure EBITDA companies that are represented. You know, we've got some low seven-figure EBITDA businesses represented as well. But, you know, again, there's a history. They've built their their practices, and now they're working for somebody. Mm-hmm. 
They no longer have the hiring decisions, the firing decisions, the do I buy this laser? Do I invest in some other element of my business? How do I think about changing my marketing strategy? Uh, so there's both the, the thought and the fear of loss of control with respect to patient and doctor-patient relationship, as well as on the business side. Uh, the other thing is, how do I get paid? How do we get compensated? I know I, I know I get a check, but you know that's fine today. But you know I'm used to pulling in you know, a substantial chunk of change on an annual basis. Now you're telling me that gets cut in thirty to thirty percent of what I'm making today. Hmm. And what about the other doctors in the practice? Maybe I'm a senior physician. There's a junior guys who I like. They're working hard. Maybe have a small, if any, ownership position within this practice. So selling to a private equity firm isn't going to be all that uh, lucrative for them. How do we keep and attract and retain good doctors who, again, the, the preconceived notion is, is if you're owned by a private equity firm, you're not going to be able to pay your physicians at that higher level that they might be used to being, being paid at. So there's actually that, you know, how do I take care of our junior people as well? What are this, some of the considerations in terms of choosing the right private equity partner for a physician? I think a lot of it is, is getting to know your partner. As I, I joke with my physicians that you're going to spend, if you're owned or if a private equity firm invests in you, you're going to spend more time with that private equity firm uh, during their ownership period than what you will your spouse. Slight exaggeration, but not necessarily so much. Uh, you know, you really do need to spend a lot of time getting to understand who's the private equity firm, what's their strategy, what have they done, how do they operate, how do they incentivize physicians, how do they think about maintaining uh, an environment that's going to ensure top quality patient care. Mm -hmm. So all these things that are important to the physician, which we talked about a few moments ago, you know, compensation is clearly an issue, but uh, and again, we're talking private equity one-on-one here, but to have an open, honest, clear dialogue framed in a manner that the physicians will understand. And frankly, having the patients uh, to go over things to make sure that the physicians understand how the transaction is going to work, the value proposition, the, the resources that the private equity firm intends to, to bring to the table, how this particular physician practice fits in with the overall structure or with the overall focus of, of the fund or, or the GP. So clearly articulating these things along with, you know, how is the corporate governance structure going to work? Uh, how are we going to uh, manage control? post-closing how you know what are you going to focus on what are we going to focus on how do we ensure that we have a strong collaboration uh, as we move forward through our time together and again coming back to incentives making sure that the current selling physicians as well as the junior guys um, have uh, in terms of incentive plans incentive programs to ensure that they are um, wanting to perform at a high level and ensure strong cash flows for that practice on a go-forward basis and lastly and we've we've beat on this a little bit but ensuring that there's the continual delivery of very high quality patient care. And in terms of where you see private equity firms approaching physicians to buy their practices, are there trends in terms of which disciplines PE investors are, are most interested in getting involved with? Yeah, we talked about dental uh, or dentistry a few moments ago, and that's mm -hmm. still very active and, and it's a hot space to be in. And I hear those dentists talk about uh, the stories of them being approached on private equity annually as well with the program that I run for, for some dentists. Uh, but if you look at, again, the core physician practices, uh, the groups that attend our program, 
ophthalmology has gained a lot of traction and a lot of steam over the last several years. And again, you've written on that uh, mm-hmm. in some of the work that you've done, Katie. And then aside from that, dermatology's picked up speed. Uh, there's a lot of momentum behind it right now as well. Uh, some momentum behind oncology, but if I had to rank them, ophthalmology remains very hot. Dermatology really, really, really warm and gaining steam and uh, oncology picking up the pace as well. And are there any disciplines where you see waning interest, maybe where private equity was looking really closely and now has, has pulled back a bit? Not at all. Huh, okay. there, there's a lot of uh, interest. And, and you think about it, physician practices in many respects should be good targets for private equity mm-hmm. funds. And uh, the doctors may not appreciate me saying it that way. But you know, at the end of the day, they're family-owned businesses uh, operating in highly fragmented markets most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, most often they have a, a core competency, which they may identify or maybe not, but they've done something really well and been able to uh, substantiate some sort of a brand and some sort of a presence. Mm-hmm. But when you think about growing and scaling, uh, often you find these just aren't that professionally run organizations. And so from a, a private equity perspective, aside from the capital to help with equipment purchases and growing vis-a-vis acquisition, uh, there's a huge opportunity for private equity firms to come in and really do what they do well in almost any industry. And that's really bring in leadership, bring in process, bring in systems, uh, help with procurement, bring in discipline to the, the advertising, the sales and marketing, um, those functions of the business. So all of the disciplines that you see private equity execute well with a manufacturing company, as an example, mm-hmm. um, they can really apply those general tenets to physician practices. Now, with that said, there's clearly some specialty and knowledge that's necessary to succeed in this industry as well, just given the regulatory environment, reimbursement environment, uh, legal environment that these guys operate in. But uh, you know, from a pure tools that a private equity firm can bring to the table to create value, many are similar to what you see across industries. And you mentioned earlier um, some of the mistakes in the past and some of these deals gone wrong maybe 10 or 15 years ago that has maybe made some doctors a little skittish about selling their practice. Do you get the sense that private equity has learned from those mistakes and is, you know, has adapted since then? I have to put my private equity hat on now, so I'm leaving the Kellogg hat in the classroom, (laughs) putting the private equity hat on. And I think the definitive answer there is yes. Mm -hmm. I think if you look back historically, a lot of the issues uh, revolved around behavioral incentives, leadership and and structure within the practice, Mm -hmm. and frankly, leverage as well, or becoming over leveraged too quickly um, in a couple of instances where the transactions went bad. And you know, private equity, it's, a, it's an intelligent industry and a, a smart uh, group of, of folks running the businesses. And you, you look in the mirror and, and we're all looking and thinking about continuous improvement. How do we improve and how do we create value for our investors? And I think at the end of the day, if you take a look at what private equity does really well, it's you know, once a deal goes bad and we've all been parts of deals that haven't gone as well as we'd liked, but you take a good hard look in the mirror and say, why? And from an industry standpoint, there's been enough data points around physicians and physician practices where I think uh, the focus of private equity firms, particularly those who are very active in the physician practice space today, they're really focused on things like where can we truly bring value to the practice? How can we uh, leverage what they do well and let them do what they do well by processitizing the elements of the practice that you know, they shouldn't be worrying about billings and collections and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, let's think about growth strategy. Let's think about the branding pieces of the business. Um, we've got the capital to help grow these 
practices. Again, coming back to capital investment as well as growing through acquisition. So there's there's a lot of tools that private equity can bring to the table. And oh, by the way, I think there's a lot more thought today around how do we incentivize these doctors to succeed post-acquisition? And how do we take care of that next round of physicians, those junior physicians who aren't doing quite so well because they don't own equity or a substantial piece of equity in the initial transaction? How do we motivate them? How do we attract, retain, and develop good people? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier in terms of the the makeup of of your most recent class and that you had a number of countries outside of the U.S. represented. How is their experience with growing or, or selling a practice, how's that similar or, or different from the U.S. doctors that you taught? Yeah, so if you think about the markets these guys are in, it's Italy, Peru, Portugal, Spain, Canada, and we've had, uh, actually not in this year's course, uh, we had the gentleman from the UAE. Um, and what's interesting, but, but maybe not, is private equity just is not as active in those countries as what you find it here in the United States. And I guess, you know, we both uh, pay attention to the middle market data and, you know, the preponderance of private equity activity is here in the United States. Um, I, in my experience and opinion, physician practices, it's a very regional business. And so what you do well here in the United States isn't necessarily going to apply to an acquisition overseas. In other words, acquiring a European-based add-on acquisition for a domestic target just doesn't make a lot of sense and it doesn't work because the markets are so different. Mm -hmm. The U.S. private equity markets have tended to lead those in other countries. I think uh, that will happen as time moves on where the European private equity firms become more active in the physician practice space. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the boots on the ground that I have who sit in my class four times a year, uh, there's some rumblings of, of private equity, but it's just not, not, at all what we have going on here in the United States. Were there any topics that came up in discussion during this most recent class that maybe you hadn't heard brought up in in previous years? Yeah, um, I would say there's a couple of topics not directly related to private equity necessarily, although I guess the first one is, and that is, is going back to something we talked about a few moments ago. You know, private equity is here. Uh, it's very active in the physician practice space. Uh, It's probably in most, if not all, of the geographic markets that the physicians, the domestic physicians who are in my class participate in. So the question becomes, what does that do for me and my practice? I'm not ready to sell to an acquiring private equity firm. So, and, And there may be a lot of reasons for that. And private equity could be a great tool for me at some point in time, but because of size, concentration, or some other, I'm just not ready, or I'm fearful at this point, or what have you. There's a number of reasons they're not ready to sell. And so how do I position my practice to compete in a world where private equity is in my backyard, and no matter what I do, they're influencing the market within which I compete. So, you know, we spin that to, well, from a strategic standpoint, how does that affect your strategy? How does it affect your your, your differentiation. What do you do well? How do you go to market then from a marketing standpoint that gets your message to articulate your different differentiation versus some of the private equity owned practices who do a lot of things very well, but maybe you do some things better so you can better create your own market niche and refine your 
you know, we go through segmentation, targeting, and positioning in our marketing uh, content that we deliver to these guys. So how do you think more clearly and crisply about that segmentation, that targeting and positioning such that you can create value for a customer base? And oh, by the way, you can think about growing your practice. And then we parlay that conversation as well into, well, if you're not ready for a controlled private equity investor, what about thinking one of those, about one of those other private equity partners that we talked about, whether it's growth equity or whether it's minority equity or whether it's the debt funds, as maybe you want to be a private equity firm for a short period of time where you can acquire geographically attractive practices or expand your service offering by acquiring adjacent um, practices in adjacent markets, you know, building yourself to a greater critical mass and then think about an exit at some point down the road. So the whole, you know, what do I do conversation has really evolved over the past couple of years and it's really interesting. Um, the other, and it's not so much related to private equity, but it's, again, kind of goes back to a theme that we talked about a little while ago. And that is, you know, from a patient standpoint, um, and, and you listen to the politicians, you know, the cost of healthcare is going through the roof. Mm -hmm. And it is. Healthcare costs are expanding dramatically. Their contention, there being the physicians, is, but I'm not putting more money in my pocket. So our reimbursement rates in some respects are flat to down, particularly if you compare it to inflation, if we're reimbursed vis-a-vis -vis insurance. Uh, some of our guys are cash pay, and, and those who are cash pay really haven't been able to increase uh, their prices either unless they're providing a very specialized service. So when you hear and you look and think about what's going on in the overall market, the actual cost of healthcare delivery is going up, yet the dollars they're putting in their pockets are the same, if not lower. Mm. And so the thought, again, goes around, how do we as physicians who may now have better business sense, better vernacular, a better network, how are we able to influence the regulatory environment, the insurance environment, the political environment, such that we can get rid of some of this leakage, have better patient uh, doctor transparency, mm. and actually you know, have a, a better slice of the pie of this overall pool of healthcare dollars that are being spent because right now they're going, you know, outside of the, the core deliverer of healthcare. They get agitated when you talk about that. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. sure you can imagine. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing that I heard in, during my reporting on this topic was the kind of different attitudes that students coming out of medical school now have toward owning a practice that in the past, you know, the expectation upon graduation was, yeah, I one day want to own my own practice, be my own boss. Whereas, you know, a lot of, and this is generalizing, of course, but a lot of younger doctors maybe don't have that same sense of plans for the future. Is that something that you've observed or, or heard about? And do you think that that has implications for ownership within the healthcare system? Absolutely. Going absolutely. And there's data out there and I wish I had it in front of me, but uh, I want to say it was 2017 was the first time that under 50% under 50 of physicians practiced in a physician practice, in a standalone independent practice. Uh, in other words, there's been tons of consolidation throughout the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, hospital systems have been very active in acquiring physician practices, and obviously you've seen uh, the acquisition of physician practices through private equity as well. And so when you think about you know, the people coming up through the ranks, I think there's a lot of graduating doctors who are saying, you know, wow, we're just, we're kind of used to the notion that we're going to work for somebody because that's the way the market has evolved over the past, you know, 15-ish years. Second, because of the astronomical amounts of debt some of these guys have, they really don't have the capital to go out and set up their own shingle 
you know, buy their equipment, do their advertising, put a stake in the ground, even if they would like to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't foresee a lot of positive momentum for that trend to shift simply because of the market dynamics uh, and frankly, the dynamics of the, the younger people coming out of, of med school. Mm -hmm. Now, with all that said, it's been interesting. I've talked to a couple of, of businesses, uh, non-physician owned, who are thinking about uh, basically acting as an MSO for the focal point in this particular business would be dental students coming out of dental school and doing the site selection, helping with the site selection, helping with the build out, uh, helping with the marketing, helping with all the back office functions. And so basically it would act as the business entity of a physician practice that would be set up for this graduating dentist who could then focus on the things that he went to school for and did really well and focus on practicing dentistry while this other business took care of all the, the ancillary elements that went to the delivery, uh, the building and delivery of, of the service. So I think, and you, you kind of saw this in banking, whereas banks got bigger and bigger and bigger and there were fewer and fewer, some community banks sprouted out because there's still a market demand for that high touch feel and there's entrepreneurs who wanna be part of smaller businesses that can provide a differentiated service. I think you'll see the same thing within the medical space, whether it's dentistry or other physician practices, but there's just headwind, headwinds against these entrepreneurial physician dentistry grads because of the environment and because of their capital constraints. We've been talking a lot today about why physician practices make good targets for private equity investment, but in your view, what would it take for activity to slow, and is there any indication that it will? zero indicators that it will anytime soon. In fact, I, it's interesting, again, when you follow the, the trade rags, it seems like there's more and more private equity firms focusing on physician practices than there were you know, five years ago. So there, there's, there's a significantly growing interest. In fact, you're seeing some private equity firms forming, and the names of a couple I was reading about the other day are escaping me, but simply to focus on physician services with an emphasis on physician practices. So the point being, there's tons of money there. And given the amount of capital combined with the state of the industry, as we talked about, it's still a very, very highly fragmented industry. The dynamics are, are right for long-term private equity investment in the space. The headwinds you might see would be if there were substantial changes in reimbursement or significant changes in the regulatory environment that uh, adversely affect how physicians can practice or how they get paid. Mm -hmm. I think if you see, and this is pure speculation, but we like to do that from time to time, you know, if you see greater momentum and discussion toward a single-payer system, I think that could create a, a pause simply because private equity investors, as with all other investors, really, really dislike uncertainty. And that type of a transition would create tons of uncertainty. And uh, you know, if history is any predictor of the future, uh, when the government or regulatory restructure like that came into play, uh, it would create a lot less favorable environment for investment, which would en encompass private equity. So, you know, in terms of near-term issues, I, I really don't see it, but barring any material changes in you know, business model vis-a-vis -vis single-payer system or uh, regulatory changes or uh, reimbursement changes, I, I just don't see a slowdown taking place. Well, Tom, thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. 
Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A. 